Hello, 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 Boss Babes. Welcome to our other series of mini-sodes featuring Boss Babes in the Ottawa Valley and Lanark County that go beyond entrepreneurs and business owners. We are recognizing role models, activists, corporate leaders, and working professionals who are breaking barriers, sparking important conversations, and championing for change. We want to be inclusive and embrace those that are making an impact, are changing their communities, and are bringing awareness to topics that sometimes have the potential to generate controversy. Because ambitious and powerful boss babes aren't just making waves in the entrepreneurship world, and they too need to be heard. Now let's kickstart the conversation. Welcome to Boss Babe Corner. Ever since I heard that the Urban Collective Wellness Lounge would be adding float therapy into their wellness services, I knew I had to try it out. Float therapy is not only great for your self-care regimen, but it also helps if you struggle with chronic, physical, or mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, stress, arthritis, inflammation, or other ailments brought on by stress. Now, as a busy mom and business owner, I'm constantly on the go and have a hard time shutting my brain off. When I tried float therapy for the first time, I felt my body relaxing, allowing myself to rest, de-stress, and heal without any distractions. Plus, the Urban Collective Wellness's float pool allows the option for couples to experience a float together. So me and my husband are gonna have to try it out. Take advantage of the Urban Collective Wellness's biggest float therapy sale yet with an unlimited monthly membership at only $2.99 a month. That's unlimited floats. Book your float now online at the Urban Collective Wellness Lounge in Petawawa because total tranquility is just one float away. Hi, my name is Julia, owner and Nuda certified spray tan artist at Ray Days in Petawawa. Did you know that just one tanning bed session before age 35 can increase your chances of developing melanoma by 75%? At Ray Days, I offer safe, sunless tanning solutions from naturally derived ingredients. I am proud to provide high quality products that are vegan friendly and cruelty free. If you need a natural looking glow up for your special event or just because, visit my website at raydayssunless.com. That's R-A-Y-D-A-Y-Z-S-U-N-L-E-S-S dot com. Ready, set, glow. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Boss Babe Corner. Guys, I'm coming to you on this Wednesday with something a little bit differently. You guys know that I love to be able to use my platform to be able to invite people beyond just entrepreneurs and business owners and business professionals on the podcast. And OV Boss Babes has recently done that by inviting more working professionals and also allowing families to share their experiences and their stories. And we recently had on Lanark County's Interval House talking about domestic violence and abuse against women. And now, now we're actually bringing awareness to a really important cause and, and story that actually is near and dear to my own heart. I'm not going to really get into it like I normally do with my opening bio, but today I'm sitting down with Mike and Julie Kelly. And they're here to tell their story. Actually, pardon me. They're here to tell their daughter's story. They're here to share her story. So without further ado, please welcome Julie and Mike Kelly. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having us, Holly. We're, we're excited to join you here tonight. And we're excited to be able to share a little bit about Kara's story. And yeah, just really looking forward to it. Julie, I kind of want to start with you. So, I mean, let's, let's be honest, like from one mom to another pregnancy, it's such an exciting time. We're 
typically the first ones, you know, to find out, we know our bodies, we know when something's a little bit different and you've done this four times now with, cause you guys have uh, three older, older children, and then you got pregnant with Kara. So let's start there. So when did you first find out that you were pregnant with Kara? Yeah. So with Kara, um, it was a bit of a different experience than our, our first three children. Our first three children were planned and um, with Kara, that pregnancy was very unexpected. So we, if you can think back, it was 2020, uh, full pandemic mode. Everybody was in lockdown. Um, people obviously looking for things to do. And um, we found ourselves um, unexpectedly pregnant. And uh, I am very type A. <laughs> so the fact that um, we found out we were expecting a baby during such a, an unknown time, uh, it was stressful for me. Um, so I can't honestly say at that time I was excited the way I was about um, our first three children. But Mike, uh, Mike was excited right from the very beginning. We actually found out on Father's Day um, in June 2020. So I, I said from the very beginning that um, Kara was certainly his, his little girl because it was all dad all the time right from the very beginning. Um, so yeah, I took a, a home pregnancy test at, at that point because we were trying our best to stay at home and stay out of hospitals and out of the public. And, uh, yeah, we had a, a positive pregnancy test and, um, it, I was in a bit of shock though, because I was also on maternity leave still at that point. Um, our youngest daughter, Jovi was uh, only 11 months old. So again, type A me, all the planning, all the all the wondering, am I going to get my hours? How are we going to make this work? And uh, Mike just being the rock that he is was, oh, don't worry, we'll figure it out. We've got this. And uh, yeah, so it was, um, it was interesting right from the very beginning, to be honest. And then how did your pregnancy progress? Um, to be honest, it, it, at the beginning, it was very similar to our other children. I had terrible um, morning sickness with all of my pregnancies. And, uh, the only thing that was a bit different was the fact that I wasn't gaining any weight. And that was a bit, um, concerning for my nurse practitioner, but I honestly, I just chalked it up to the fact that I had gone back to work full time. Uh, we had three young children. Mike was also working full time. So just a busy life. So I just assumed, you know, I wasn't putting on any weight cause it was always go, 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 go. And, um, at about 11 weeks, um, I had experienced some bleeding and that was something that was different from our other children. So at that point I had gone into emerge cause it was the evening and, um, the hospital in our prayer, their ultrasound is not open in the evening. So in an emerge, they told me, well, if you're having a miscarriage, then unfortunately there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so I went home that night and it was in that moment that I realized, oh, wow, like I, I really do want this pregnancy. I really do want this child. And, um, I think I just needed that little bit of a wake up call and everything turned out to be fine. Um, at that time I had an ultrasound and heartbeat was fine. Growth looked fine, but again, it was early, right? It was only, um, 11 weeks 
but yeah, so that like we we were fine up until about 20 weeks. And that's when uh, we went in for our anatomy scan. And again, like I said, type A. So we had found out the the sex of all our children. And I was just anxiously awaiting because, uh, you know, me, I was already trying to plan out, OK, if we have another son, here's how the bedrooms are going to work. If we have another daughter, here's where she's going to go. Um, so we were trying to plan. And when we went, I went in alone, unfortunately, to the ultrasound because we were right in the middle of COVID. So Mike, unfortunately, was not allowed to um, attend the ultrasound with me. And um, it was the same technician I'd had before. Arm Prayer is a small town, so there's only a few technicians on rotation. And she was trying really hard to find um, out the sex of the baby. And the way the baby's legs were tucked in, um, she wasn't able to see that. And I was so devastated about the fact that I, I couldn't find out if we were having a little boy or a little girl, that that was all I focused on. And when I came home that night and I'm <laughs> complaining to Mike about the fact this little baby won't cooperate and is making things difficult for mom, um, it hit me as I was falling asleep that the technician hadn't really said much to me during the ultrasound. And that was different. Not that she had said much um, in previous pregnancies, but she had definitely told me more about the baby uh, when it was Jovi or when it, when it was Holden. So I focused on that and I said, okay, like maybe something's wrong. And Mike, again, being my rock was, no, I'm sure it's fine. Everything's good. And um, I end up getting a phone call from um, the nurse practitioner to say that she needed to see us. So that ultrasound was on a Thursday and by Monday they had called to say, you need to come in. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, like it's just going to be a phone call. We're in the middle of COVID. Um, I'll book it during my prep time so that way I wouldn't have to miss work. And the receptionist on the phone said, no, you need to come in. And that was a bit unheard of during COVID. So I said, okay. And then she said to me, I had to bring a support person. And in that moment, I was like, okay, um, this, this clearly isn't isn't going to be good news. And uh, they actually asked that we come in as soon as possible. So we went in the next afternoon. We sat down with the nurse practitioner and uh, I'll never forget her words. She said she was really sorry, but they had found uh, multiple abnormalities on the ultrasound and um, we would need to take um ourselves to the Ottawa hospital and uh, to get more testing done but essentially what they told us at that point was that the baby um had several abnormalities that they could they could see so lesions on the brain um extra fluid around the the brain um she had issues with her heart development um so the left side of the heart was not developing she um, only had one ki kidney at that point, um, club feet, and her little fist were clenched. And again, we didn't know Kara was a girl at that point. That moment I was just really surreal for us. You know, you start thinking, this doesn't make any sense. We have three healthy children. We had three healthy pregnancies. So why, like, why, 
now. And I'm not going to lie, I felt um, a ridiculous amount of guilt, right? Because I wasn't happy about the pregnancy in the beginning. And now we're getting this really terrible news. And um, it was a lot to take. But anyways, we ended up at the Ottawa hospital. And that's when, uh, through further testing, we had found out that our baby was diagnosed with trisomy 18. For me, this was um, by far our toughest pregnancy. Uh, and not just because of Kara being diagnosed with trisomy 18, um, but also because we were in the middle of a pandemic, right? So uh, like Julie was saying, like all the ultrasounds, all the appointments, I couldn't participate in. It was just, uh, you know, rightfully, Julie was having a really hard time, um, especially after Kara received her diagnosis. Um, so the amount of effort that, you know, we had to put in to advocate for ourselves just to, to get me into a room with her, even towards the tail end of appointments, um, it was like, it was unfair. There's not really another way to say it uh, than that, I don't think. And, and thankfully, towards the end of the pregnancy, we had staff at Roger Nelson House that were advocating with us and for us as well. But like, maybe just to help put that in perspective for anyone listening, uh, between ultrasounds, between regular appointments, um, the early support that we received, like essentially we both went down to a four-day work week uh, at the 24-week mark um, because Thursday just became basically our day to, to go to GEO. And um, all but two of those appointments, I wasn't allowed to go in. COVID was literally the worst thing for so many families and Absolutely. it just took so much away from people especially for people in difficult and traumatizing times like yours and the fact that you guys still have to continue on going to work showing up every day and then come Thursday go to Chio together and then go back to work you know on a Friday and continuing being mom and dad for for your other yeah. children I just this is this is so traumatic it was hard it was it was a mess like um at one point we were lucky enough we found a, a private ultrasound clinic uh, that did like 3d ultrasounds in ottawa so we were able to go do that together just because up until that point like i hadn't had a chance to to, to meet Kara to see her at all um so that was something that was really cool and we were actually able to bring blair our oldest in with us so she was able to get a chance to to meet her and like see Kara on the screen and things like that too um, but yeah, it wasn't right up until the end of Julie's pregnancy, basically at the 38 week mark, right before we met her was the first time that I was actually able to go into an ultrasound with Julie, um, at the Ottawa hospital. And that took a ton of effort, not just from us, but from Roger Nielsen house, basically advocating, getting us permission for that to happen. And they finally agreed just because it was very likely with Tristan 18 and, and what the life expectancy is that that would be the last time that we'd see her alive. I want to go back to the day that Kara was born. So she was born on February 19th at 4.30 a.m. And she spent the best day with her family in the short amount of time that she was here on earth. So can you guys relive that day and share with me what that was like? Let me first just start by saying what a miracle it was that we even made it to that point. Um, as Mike said earlier, I was having weekly appointments. Um, and to be honest, that was just to check to make sure she was still alive. And each week I would go in and I would see her and I'd hear her heartbeat. And the response I would get would be, yeah, okay, her heart's beating this week, but maybe this time next week it won't be. 
And I remember saying to one technician, how can my little girl be so sick? And yet I see her heart beating on the screen. And this technician said, well, it's biology. So it was, it was tough. It was really tough to go through. Um, but we, we had made it. And through all the times we were told that she wouldn't make it full term, she did. Um, she wouldn't survive or very unlikely to survive um, birth. She did. She did. Um, so I just want to point that out that this little girl and her strength, like she, she showed them all. Like I, I, I can't say how enough, how proud and I, how proud I was and how proud Mike was of that little girl because <laughs> how often we were told she couldn't do it and she did. Um, anyways, we had gone in February 18th again for a weekly, weekly ultrasound. And, you know, I'm not an ultrasound technician, but I'd like to say at that point, I had seen enough with her being my, my fourth child and having a weekly um, ultrasound that um, when they were checking her, I noticed her heart rate was quite low and um, the technician wasn't saying anything. And um, she excused herself for a moment and uh, she came back. She's like, okay, we're going to send you to see your OB. Um, and you need to, you need to talk with your OB. And as I was waiting for the obstetrician to come in, I had texted Mike and I said, it's not good. Things are not good. Her heart rate was extremely low and I know things are not okay. And, um, at that point we were told that, um, if we had any chance of meeting her alive now, now was the time it was time to get induced. So up Mike came finally allowed in the building. My second time. Yeah, yeah, finally allowed in. Um, and I was not induced with my other three children. So that was a whole new experience in itself. Um, I should probably mention too that Kara was also breech, which was something new for me as well. Um, for all the women out there who have experienced that, uh, yeah, not not the most fun in the world, but she wouldn't turn. So they told us not to expect um delivery probably for another 24 hours so we assumed we had until um lunch the next day and um mike and i were just thinking of our own plans in our head and okay how are we going to get the kids here tomorrow um and just trying to figure things out but <laughs> lo and behold about 2 a.m i was ha started having really bad contractions and uh i had had um epidural with my other three kids and uh, I was hell-bent on getting an epidural this time as well. And by the time the nurses came to check me, uh, it was too late. Kara was making her way into this world, and she made it quick. And uh, I honestly believe it was that quick because that was what was going to get her, her here alive. And um, you can ask Mike about this, but uh, I was in a, a very drug-induced haze when Kara was born but when they put her on my chest my very first words were is she alive hmm. and um, she had started to cry and uh, in that moment I just kept telling Kara how proud I was of her and how um, all I'm how amazed I was that she had made it alive and how happy I was and how proud I was of her for allowing daddy to meet her alive too and um 
I don't remember a whole lot of it at the moment <laughs> because of all the, the medication I was on. But uh, Mike said I had a, a, the nurses in the room pretty, um, pretty emotional at the time as well. But uh, she had a full speech. We, I had a full we, speech. We had, we had all the nurses and doctors crying in the room. Yeah, yeah uh, I had a full speech that I can't remember. But um, um, yeah. hands down, proud, proudest moment of my life. I think mine too, like it's fair to say, like just hearing her cry for the first time was incredible, as weird as that that may sound. Um, but it was it was just like we'd been hoping for that time for so long. So for it to happen was it, it was amazing. And, and we didn't know we were gonna get that time. Yeah, and, and so like maybe to step back, like um like with her condition and, and trisomy eighteen, like um, so more than half of babies will die before they're born. So they're they're often miscarried uh, throughout the term. Uh, and then of those babies that are carried to term, uh, only about half of them are actually born alive and the rest will be stillborn. Um, and then of those transmitting babies born alive, half die within the first week. So it's it's only about a five to 10% chance that any babies with that condition um, live beyond their first year of life and so just the odds were really stacked against us and and like julie said um we've been told throughout the whole pregnancy basically to prepare to to not meet her right so it was um it was really nice to 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 be able to prove everyone wrong like there's not really another way to say it it was it was just a really nice moment and and uh i mean so going to her first day with us like beyond that uh, like Julie said, like the first couple hours of her life, she was out of it because <laughs> of all the the drugs that they had her on, just to yeah. be able to get Kara out, and 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 so she was able to get some much needed rest um, as we were kind of preparing to go over to Roger Nelson House from the Ottawa Hospital. So uh, from about so she was born four thirty, um, I think by about five, she was able to from pure adrenaline, I think stay up for the first half an hour and like stay awake with with Kara and, and made sure that she was okay for that first you know 30 minutes and I think she just uh, was out following that um, so from about five to seven that morning I got time just Kara and me um, and so I got to tell her you know stories about Julie and I about our family um, she was like gabbing away at me too which was just awesome um, listen to some some songs together like listen to some music together um, I took way too many pictures. Uh, I think I have like a thousand photos from two hours in that in that amount of time. But I was so paranoid that something was going to happen while Julie was sleeping that uh, I, you know, just had pictures, videos, uh, and for a little while, like it, it felt normal almost, right? But um, what I think I love most about that was just the ability to to finally, for me, to finally be able to connect with her, right? To to look at her, um, have her like open her eyes and look back at me. Um, and it was like, I could tell that was one of my big fears through the pregnancy was like, she wouldn't know me. Right. Um, so talking to her, you could just tell that she recognized me, which was, which was really awesome. Like it was, um, that fear kind of went away in that moment. Um, and then, so shortly after seven, uh, that's when I think the day got quite a bit busier for us. There was lots of doctors, nurses in and out um we had a full birth plan that we'll probably get into when we talk a little bit more about Roger Nelson House just to make sure that like everything we wanted for the the short time that we'd have with her happened um so like shortly after eight we had her baptized and confirmed right in the Ottawa hospital 
Um, by 8.30, we had our, our, our parents, so grandparents arriving with our other three kids. By nine o'clock, we were already moved over to Roger Nielsen house and, and kind of like in our home away from home. And like, I have a picture of 9.10 Blair holding Kara at yeah. Roger Nielsen house on the couch there. Um, and all of our quick. kids were Very there and, and grandparents were there. And um, yeah, so really quick. And and then we had like about about five hours of like time, just all of our four kids together, uh, all of our parents there. Um, Roger knows us, they were actually like, they were incredible. Um, so many memories with, with our kids and grandparents all together. And, and they had a full plan just to make sure that everything happened the way that, that we wanted it to. Um, and then later in the afternoon, by about two, that's when like our parents, uh, so grandparents of Kara's left and they came back home for us. And then Julie and I had about three hours, just uh, just the two of us together with with Kara, to kind of enjoy that that last little bit of time. Um, and yeah, so like looking back with kind of you know the cards that we were dealt and and knowing what her condition was, it like we couldn't really have asked for much more. It was really like the perfect little day that 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 we had with her. When I first met Mike, <laughs> the first thing I attracted meet him was his curly hair right and I always made the joke that I wanted to have his curly haired babies <laughs> and all of our kids have straight hair and Kara was born with a head full of curls so mm -hmm. I like to say that was her way of saying you know here's one for you mom <laughs> yeah <laughs> just just what you said to Julie you know about the fact that she made it to 38 weeks and you got to have that experience of having the nurse put her on your chest. That is the best feeling. And then to hear her beautiful voice crying and saying, mom and dad, I'm here. I made it. We did it. Like we All did it together. Of me. I'm here. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> but that's the biggest thing is that I'm here yeah. and I made it. And you guys are talking about this day, which is just jam packed and it's so busy and everyone who's important in your life and to Kara's life, you know, everybody is trying to meet her. But Julie, I just, I can't help but think about you in this, in this moment specifically. You just delivered a baby. Now you're all drugged up. You are experiencing this postpartum craziness that happens. Yes. Like also your emotions are all out of whack. Your milk's coming in. <laughs> So you just had a yeah. baby. Everything's <laughs> you a mess. know, like everything's, everything's a, mess. a mess. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I wanted to say. But yeah. I mean, like, and you're trying to get pictures. You guys are trying, like, you got her baptized and confirmed. You're, you know, yeah. smiling for the camera, but also, you know, you're you're emotional and and you know yes. that the timer's on, the countdown yes. is on. Are yes, are, are we gonna get an hour? Are we gonna get to get 12 hours? Are we gonna get 24 hours? Like, what does this look like? You don't know, you don't have that clock in front of you. And so every single moment is precious. And you're probably yeah. exhausted just being like, all I want to do is sleep. But if I fall asleep, I'm gonna wake up without my daughter yeah. here. So I mean, like, yeah. my heart goes out to you, Mike. I mean, obviously, my heart goes out to you too, being that supportive partner. I mean, now you're finally getting to have that connection. You're you're wanting to be there for Julie too. There's just, there's a lot that's going on throughout this entire ordeal. Um, and I just think that to have the two of you to be able to lean on each other and, and have that supportive person is so, so crucial and important. Um, but it also makes you guys stronger in the end, although 
that day I'm sure just feels like a whirlwind, but I'm sure that everything you you did, you look back on now and be like, thank God, thank yes. God that we did all those yes. things in that day. And I'm Julie, good for you for pulling it all together because I've been there. Those <laughs> after delivering a baby, it's, it's a lot. And you are just so tired and all you want to do is sleep and just Exhausted. rest. But yeah. to be honest with you, um, I was riding a high as well. Like it just, we had gone through so much unknowns and, and so much anticipatory grief that the fact that she was born alive, um, in that time, nothing else mattered. The fact that she had made it and I'll be really honest with you when we had made the decision to proceed with the pregnancy, because, you know, we were talked through all of our options and the, the doctors had said, you know, like her condition is incompatible with life and you really should think about terminating the pregnancy. And, um, when we had made the decision to continue my main hope the thing i prayed for every day was for her to be born alive so mike could meet her it was even in our birth plan that i didn't want to be the first one to hold her i wanted mike to have that time because i was carrying her i had that connection with her and i so desperately wanted him to have that moment so it did put a lot on my shoulders we talked about it a lot with our um social worker and a lot of our therapy sessions putting that amount of pressure on my myself for mike in something that i couldn't actually control um so the fact that that day she was born alive and he had those two hours with her like that just i knew our time was limited but that's not what i was focusing on mm -hmm. in that time and uh, I remember, well, we'll talk about Leslie here soon, but she's one person who uh, works for Roger Nielsen House who really just impacted our life majorly. But I sat beside her on the couch the morning after Kara had passed. And I said, I regret absolutely nothing because he, he had that moment. Well, tell us, tell us, Julie and Mike, about the Roger Nielsen house and about the compassion and support that the nurses and the staff and even the volunteers provided to you guys during your time there. Like we we can't, I don't even know where to start. Like there's really not enough that we can say for everyone at Roger Nielsen house who helped us. Um, Julie mentioned Leslie. So that was our first contact with, with Roger Nielsen house, which was right around the 24 week mark um, of the pregnancy. So that's when um, the OB, uh, had uh, told us uh, we got the full diagnosis of, of, of trisomy 18. That's also when we found out Kara was a girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that was at the point that uh, they were uh, really um, asking us to strongly consider not continuing with the pregnancy. Like they were recommending that. Um, and uh, we said, no, like that's not something that we're interested in, in discussing. And so uh, after we should mention we're very catholic <laughs> very catholic so it's just uh it's part of our faith just to you know yeah so uh, it was at that point that that then the ob had had told us well like have you do you know about roger nilson house and uh, prior to that we didn't have any idea roger nilson house existed didn't know what it was um what they did um so so maybe it makes sense kind of to take a bit of a step back um uh, just to share like roger nilson house so it's the history there is a, uh, it's named after the coach the nhl coach roger nilson house uh he was a big advocate for children 
um, a recipient of the Order of Canada. Uh, and um, so it, it uh, shortly after he passed, it was the Ottawa Centers Hockey Club, the Ottawa Centers Foundation and CHEO that, that built Roger Nielsen House. And it really is kind of like a home away from home sort of experience. They provide palliative care uh, to children, youth, uh, their families who are living with, with life-limiting illness um, like Kara was. Uh, so they they provide services like um, end of life care, bereavement services, uh, memory making, legacy uh, building activities, and, and so much more. Um, and and so for us, Roger Nielsen House, it's like it's the only home that we that we have memories of all four of our kids together alive. Um, so it's that's a big part of why we we started this this annual fundraiser to draw attention to everything that they do and and, and raise funding to ensure that more uh, families continue to get the support they provide. Um, so going back to, to our specific experience with Roger Nielsen House, when we first met Leslie is really, I think, when Jewel and I finally, like, we felt heard for the first yeah. time. Because um, up until then, like, there's not really a way to sugarcoat things. Like, most of our conversations that we're having with medical professionals, they were referring to Kara as, like, a medical abnormality. Um, we didn't feel supported at all in our in our decision to continue with the pregnancy. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a way to like criticize the those professionals. Like it was also during a pandemic, right? Yeah. So like the, the healthcare system was completely strained. Um, there was just so many restrictions in place. Uh, but that doesn't change kind of the feeling that it gave Julie and I as we're trying to go through it. Um, but like after we met Leslie, everything kind of changed for us. So like she helped with our with our birth plan. Um, and that, in, like, that included everything from coordinating with the Ottawa Hospital, um, acknowledgement of like all the wishes that we had for Kara when she'd arrive and and when she'd pass, basic planning for all the different scenarios, if she was born alive, if she wasn't born alive, if we miscarried at one point. Um, like we had like basically like eight birth plans, I think, <laughs> in a book. Say if all these different scenarios happen, here's what's gonna happen so that you can get the most out of this, this experience. Checking in with us regularly, like we talked to her weekly, if not more often, helping create keepsakes for us for when Carib passed, um, acting as basically like a stand-in partner for, for me, um, as a lot of those appointments I wasn't allowed to be there in person for. So like I'd be in the parking lot across the road, but Julie didn't want to be alone. So Leslie would go because she was in the hospital. She was allowed to go. She'd go just hold Julie's hand. Yeah. Um, you know, so things like that, like while well, Julie's going through an ultrasound or a test or, or some of those things, like she was she was there for us. Um, and, and like, that's really like, you can't replace that, like the, just the compassion that she showed us um, so that Julie didn't have to be alone. And there was so many more, like, it, like there was Leslie, um, Carol, uh, Julie mentioned earlier, our social worker um, who counseled us through a lot of grief uh, and helped us talk through so much. Um, like that was leading up to uh, meeting Kara um during during our short time with her but also like the full year after meeting her she introduced mm -hmm. us to other families who'd gone through what we were about to go through so they were kind enough to kind of share their experiences with us um and, and like that was again a weekly conversation with carol of just kind of counseling through what to expect um Ju well julie julie did it a, took advantage of it a lot better than than i did if i'm just being honest um but there, and it like it keeps going on. So there was another um, cat 
yeah. uh, was a child psychologist. Um, so our oldest daughter, Blair, um, she was able to participate in some of their sibling bereavement group programs uh, and just talk about like what that may mean, um, not being able to bring her sister home and how that made her feel. And so like we had a full support system for us, for our kids. Um, and, and there was so much more than that. Like the day of when we were in Roger Nielsen house, there was a volunteer ph photographer who came in and, and took pictures of all of our family together with our kids that we have um, staff. When we got there with our kids, knowing that how they're young crazy. they were and they're crazy, they brought in toys and coloring books and like entertain them, snacks, uh, you know, coffee, lunch, things like that, just to make sure that we were comfortable and we didn't need to do anything, right? Like it truly was a home. Everything was just like there and taken care of so that we could just get the most out of our time with Kara. You guys had your village. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good, I like that way to say it. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I really do want to talk about with Roger Nielsen House is um, the dignity they um, showed Kara and us and um, the meaning of Kara's very short life. Um, something Roger Nielsen House does when um, a baby or a child passes and they leave Roger Nielsen House, um, the staff um, creates a standing guard um, as the child leaves the building. And we did not know this. Um, so as we were leaving with Kara um, to give her to um, the funeral home who um, had come to pick her up, um, the staff and volunteers all created a standing guard as we walked out with Kara. And um, that moment was so powerful for us. And um, the acknowledgement of her life is something that I think Mike and I just looked for the entire pregnancy. And um, the fact they stood there and, and watched her leave and were there for us. And uh, I remember in that moment, Leslie was in the standing guard and I just, um, Again, it was COVID, so you're not supposed to touch or anything, but I just, I, I gave her the biggest hug and I said, um, the people of Roger Nielsen House are absolute godsends, and uh, there's certainly a special place in heaven for all the employees and the volunteers of this place, because that is a moment that will stand out in, for me for the rest of my life. Just, I can't tell them enough how much I appreciate it them in that moment but the biggest thing is that she was she was loved and Karen knew that and when you guys are leaving that space to be able to know that like we did everything in our power to give our child the best that she ever could have that's what you want that's what every parent wants for their children right and you guys finally got that absolutely now, explaining the death of a sibling to young kids is an extremely difficult concept to have to relay while also helping them understand and cope with their own feelings. So how did you guys explain to your own kids that that Kara wasn't coming home? We're very lucky in the sense that uh, we're strong in our faith. So we did have um, our faith to fall back on. And uh, with the help of our faith, we were able to you know, explain heaven and explain that although, you know, Kara is no longer with us here, she is alive in heaven and we will get to see her again one day. 
Um, see, you have to remember Jovi at this time uh, was only a year and a half. So <laughs> in reality, she, you know, we have some really cute pictures of her kissing Kara, but in reality, she, she didn't know what was going on. Um, but with our other two, it was a little more difficult. Um, Holden was three and Blair was um, four and a half. So we didn't end up having a formal talk with Holden beforehand, but we did with Blair and uh, Mike and I decided um, one night at bedtime that we were both going to lay beside Blair and we were going to have this conversation because it was getting to the point where Blair was, you know, being a big sister, making all these plans and, you know, when are we going to buy Kara toys or when are we going to go shopping for Kara's clothes and asking a lot of questions. So uh, we had been, you know, given good advice from Kat at um, Roger Nicholson House to just be honest with her and explain it in terms that she will understand, but don't sugarcoat things because you don't want to um, confuse her. So Mike and I laid with her that evening and just explained to her that um, with Kara having the condition of trisomy 18, um, the most direct way to tell Blair was the fact that Kara's heart was not going to work very well once she was born. And because of that, um, Kara was going to die and go to heaven with um, other family members we talk about, like Mike's grandfather and Mike's uncle and uh, my uncle. And so it heaven is something we talk about frequently in our house. And I, I feel like that really helped Blair to understand. Of course, she was upset, like the three of us lying there crying. It was probably one of the hardest conversations we've ever had to have. Um, but the fact that we do have our faith to bounce back on, it was okay. What we did not expect, though, was um, the way Holden handled things. Um, he, when we got back from Roger Nielsen House the, the day after Kara was born and had died, um, he asked if we forgot Kara at the hospital, if we had left her there. And um, we said to him, you know, buddy, no, Kara, Kara's in heaven now. Kara's not going to live in our house. Uh, and, you know, that was a frequent conversation. But for weeks after, this little guy would ask, can we go back to the hospital to see Kara? Um, it was heartbreaking, to be honest. Um, he would call her baby car, baby car at that time. So he's like, where's baby car? Can we go back to the hospital, see baby car? And he wasn't quite understanding. Um, but like I said, we talk about heaven all the time. Holden is now, uh, he'll be six in August. And, you know, he talks about Kara all the time. We were blessed with a company from the States called Molly Bears. And it's a company that creates bears that weigh the same as your child that's passed in. Uh, so we do have a bear here. We we call Kara. So the kids are <laughs> wherever we go, whatever we do, they say, don't forget Kara. So we have to uh, bring this bear everywhere we go. But uh, yeah, so we talk about her all the time. And we just, in all honesty, we just try to be very honest with them. And if they have questions, we we answer to the best of our ability. And um, I'm sure as Jovi gets older, um, you know, she too will realize that 
Kara is her sister and not a spare that we carry around everywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's honesty and communication that's kind of got us through. Babes, thanks so much for tuning in to learn more about Kara Kelly, as well as her parents, Mike and Julie Kelly, who are here to tell us a story. Because there was so much to this conversation, we decided to continue the conversation, and I decided to split the interview up into two parts. So you can learn more about Kara's story, Kara's Kager, and the Roger Nielsen House in part two of our next episode. <laughs>